You are tuned to Nerd Noise Radio, Channel 2. Today's episode is an episode of the Masters of VGM Season 2.
Thank you for joining us, dear listeners. This is Nerd Noise Radio Channel 2, Nerd Noise Game Club. Today's broadcast is C2E13 for Theme Thursday, July 6th, 2023. As I said, today's episode is a portion of the Masters of EGM Season 2. This is something that we're doing for a second time, where a number of VGM podcasts in the VGM podcast scene all get together around a common theme. Last year, it was uh, top composers, you know, like uh, if we we decided not to use the ter- the Mount Rushmore thing mm-hmm. because of the cultural baggage, but if you were to imagine what your Mount Rushmore VGM composers would be, that's what last year was. This year is kind of the the opposite, something very akin to the opposite. It's uh, unsung and undersung heroes. So to the the name of today's episode will be Songs of the Unsung. And as always, I'm joined by Hugh. So Hugh, what's going on? Uh, what is going on? Um, probably the same as everybody else, you know, spent most of the summer uh, free time playing the, the new Zelda game. Um, enjoying this topic. This was kind of a fun one to explore. I, I think I'd mentioned you before, I was looking at a theme that I called, um, I was calling it One and Done, which was people who worked on exactly one game soundtrack. And it turns out okay. that's really, really, really hard. Uh, topic to do okay um so I, I like that this came up around the same time i was thinking about that because this is not necessarily people who did one soundtrack but people who make you know a very small number let's say i don't know what our official criteria was but certainly i think everyone here is less than 10 soundtracks ever well so it's you know and that was so that's the trick this year. The The theme last year was so much easier to define, right? Uh, this one, it's so much harder. It's like, you know, what quantifies as an unsung or undersung hero? Is it the number of games? Is it how often they come up in conversations about, you know, seminal composers? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. It's really, really hard. Uh, you know, one thing that's really interesting, though, is you might have you might have a composer who's only done a handful of games, who doesn't get talked about a lot, but one of those games might just happen to be like, the biggest game in the history of video game music, mm-hmm. which which will come up uh, in just a moment here, actually. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's really wild. I mean, you know, I've some of the other episodes. I, I I'm trying to keep up on the episodes as they come. I'm I'm a couple weeks behind, but but uh, some of the composers that were featured, I heard them. And I'm like, ooh, I, they're a little bigger than I would have wanted to share. But then I think about some, you know. Uh, I'm deliberately going out of my way to not say the names of the composers here in the intro, although anyone reading along in the show notes can can see all that for themselves. But, you know, a couple of the composers we have are probably right on that fence of qualify or not qualify, you know. So, I don't know. I think, you know, the good news is there's a lot of grace in the community here, you know. Uh, there's there, there aren't any kind of, oh, back, back when I used to play Magic the Gathering, we referred to these people as rules lawyers. And we really don't have many of them or gatekeepers i guess you could just i guess that's what gen z would call them as gatekeepers uh we don't really have a lot of gatekeepers in this group which is really nice so yeah yeah like you said there, were, there aren't really strict rules of what counts so i mean i think right. we overall did pretty good this is the the first one you're hearing is the least obscure composer right well uh, maybe maybe not it's certainly the least obscure game yes least obscure yeah. game i Probably the most heard composer of everyone on here. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that might be fair to say. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's fair to say. You know, actually, why don't we why don't we just announce that track right now? Uh, you are listening to Dryton from Minecraft on multiple platforms. 
composed by C four eighteen, also known as Daniel Rosenfeld. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I'm not deliberately exaggerating when I say I think this from a from a market perspective. Uh, like a market successfulness perspective is literally the number one biggest game of all time ever. It's certainly a contender for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, the, they've made it harder to look at total playtime on switch games, but back on my original switch, I had logged like 158 hours into the switch exclusive version of Minecraft. And then probably a good 60 plus hours into the bedrock edition that came out afterwards. So, and, and I feel like I only scratched the surface, you know, I mean, you know, we talked about No Man's Sky last episode or the episode before, and, you know, a hundred hours is nothing in a game like that. Well, this is, that's kind of the same with Minecraft. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, according to Wikipedia, Minecraft has sold the most of any game ever. And it's like, has a 50 million lead over the number two game. What is number two, by the way? Grand Theft Auto five. Interesting. Okay. I would not have expected that to be the answer, but okay. I actually, I can, if, if I, if you'd asked me cold, I might've flipped those two. I might've thought Grand Theft Auto five was first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that we get to, we're, we're focusing on tiny composers and featuring the biggest game ever. ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you say you've never played Minecraft. I, I haven't. No, I'm not really, I, my, my kid has played it a bunch and I guess I understand the appeal. Um, Seems like it's just not the kind of I don't I don't play SimCity I don't like SimCity I don't like a lot of sort of builder games you know okay okay yeah it's I have not played meaningfully anytime recently but it is the game I've put the most time into on the Switch uh, between even just the one version of the game but especially between the two versions of the game uh, yeah it's far and away the front runner well let's uh let's go back to talking about tears of the kingdom though tell me about where where in in as not spoilery a way as possible tell me where you are and what you've done and how much time you've logged Um, approximately i i don't i don't know i've logged a lot of time because i've I've been playing it after work every day and um my kids don't really need a lot of supervision anymore which which is kind of nice uh they they need money they ask for money a lot but they (laughs) they aren't really looking for you know I don't have to worry about like bath time and stuff anymore. It'd be outright creepy if I did. Um, <laughs> so um, I don't know. I'm sure I'm over a hundred hours easily. I, I don't see okay. how I, that seems right. But I I deliberately played it differently than Breath of the Wild. Like Breath of the Wild, I you know started the game and then sort of followed like where the game was trying to get you to go right away. Okay. Uh, obviously, you can do whatever you want in the game, but there is sort of like a hey, go visit Breath of the Wild. Seven years old, so there's no spoilers here, right? Like. You know, go visit Impa first and then do these divine beasts and blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I sort of followed the story there. And, and in Tears of the Kingdom, I waited a very long time before following the story. Um, okay. So I've done like, let's say, two out of four story events so far. Um, and I'll probably, I don't know, there's there's a another game coming out uh, in July that I really want to play. So I don't know if I can try and finish Tears of the Kingdom before it comes out or... I'm kind of thinking sometime in July I'll probably finish the game. Okay. Okay. Uh, what game and, are you so looking forward to? Oh, that's the new, the latest Legend of Heroes game. The, the mm. one that was announced. Um, it was literally announced like at the start of COVID. It was like the first day of quarantine, I think. And I saw, um, uh, you know, they put, Falcom put out the trailers for it. And it took three years to come out in America. So 
that's actually a pretty good pace for them for mm-hmm, their games mm-hmm. I, I guess not them because they're not the ones translating the games but for for their games that's a pretty good pace okay uh, and that comes out i think like july 11th in the u.s maybe but okay if i don't start until august or something or even september it's not the end of the world sure sure well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm I'm kind of facing a similar thing. So, and it sounds like my approach was similar to yours. Although, rather than playing this completely different than Breath of the Wild, I'm playing it as approximately to the same as I played Breath of the Wild. Because with Breath of the Wild, I didn't jump right into the story either. What I did is I went to all the the towers to unlock the map. That's what I did first, and then the shrines I went to instead of building up on hearts, I built up built up on stamina so that I could go everywhere. And uh, with Tears of the Kingdom, I've done the same thing. Only now there's a lot more complexity because you have the Sky Islands, which mm-hmm. very much feel like um, Wind Waker to me, by the way. And then and then uh, the, the Depths, which I keep wanting to call the Upside Down. Yeah. I, I'm glad other people keep calling it that too because I'm not the only one. But, but um, I went and unlocked all 120 Light Roots. And okay, it was just yeah. because it was... It was it was a way to be productive mindlessly, more or less. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting definition of, of productive there, but I understand. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and the thing that's so I I won't call I don't think this is a spoiler. If anyone is a purist and w- wants to know nothing at all, um, I will come back and edit in a timestamp that you can jump ahead to to not hear any spoilers. And that timestamp is nineteen minutes and twenty five seconds. But the, the thing I love about the light route, or I'm sorry, the depths, mm-hmm. is it's a topic it's a topographical inversion of the overworld. You know, yeah. like uh, the peak of a mountain in the overworld is the depth of a valley in the in the depths and and vice versa. And when you're when you're in the depths, you're seeing such a tiny piece of the world that you really can't see that. You have to know that's what's going on and then look out over this vast valley and realize I'd be looking up a mountain right now if I were mm-hmm. on the surface. But it's just, and it's, you know, they have to make a couple little concessions here and there. So they, it's not literally 100%, but it's all but 100% com- perfect inversion, uh, heights and depths in the depths, which is really, really cool, I think. Uh, as far as story goes, I have unlocked all the the memories that you know have the the big yeah, the yeah. big yeah okay i've unlocked all those and then the little bonus one afterwards so i, I i'm not going to say what that is cuz that that would be a, a for yeah, sure yeah, a spoiler yeah. but uh but i've done that after i unlocked all the light routes i went around the world just touching all the shrines that were not hidden and then after that i went back and and completed all those shrines that didn't require a puzzle and so now i have like 18 hearts okay. and, and full stamina and so just yesterday just yesterday i went to the first uh dungeon i guess in the yep. rito the rito world and i beat that so i have one down and when i put the game down i'm near zora's domain looking for my contact there so i can start that one because now i think i'm at the phase and I, i've put in 90 hours I, i've logged like 90 hours so I, but i'm at the phase now where i'm actually gonna f- focus on the story and uh I, i'm hoping in the next month or the next month or so to beat the game because i have a game that's on the horizon for me and this is going to be one that's either going to completely bounce off me and i'm not going to like it at all or it's going to just completely consume me i can't imagine any middle ground and that's uh starfield you know the big oh, yeah, yeah. i heard like, of it i don't i don't i yeah, haven't really looked at it but yeah okay uh so and 
last last time we met, I had said that I was going to try to beat Horizon uh, Forbidden West before Tears of the Kingdom came, and I failed. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do is I want to beat Tears of the Kingdom, and I'll come back for some of the peripheral stuff some other day, some other time in the future. But just focus on the story, beat the story, put it down, go back and try to finish Horizon Forbidden West before Starfield comes up. <laughs> so find myself in the exact same situation I was two months ago. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So what else has been going on with you? I have a couple updates, but I want you to go first because I tend to talk longer than you. Uh, I don't I don't really have anything exciting. Okay. Okay. Well, so I actually got to spend uh, a, a little less than 48 hours in the land of Hugh. Although okay. I didn't get to actually see you. I, I didn't give you heads up enough. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, it was, it was, yeah I recall it was short notice, yeah. It was very short notice. So I was in Chicago. I was hanging out with Trey uh, from Nintendo Main Podcast and, and, and his partner, Jess, and a couple other people for Trey's birthday. We were, I guess it was Northwest Chicago proper. Um, yeah, the, the address you gave me is sort of, yeah, north north side. I, I wouldn't say it was west, but it was pretty north, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, as we were driving up, as we were driving up, we were looking for Fullerton, and we saw... Oh, I had August with me. I had my teenager with me, um, who's who just turned 16 last week, uh, as of our recording. So, but anyway, I had August with me, and we were driving up whatever that main road is, and, and uh, we passed Fulton. And our target was Fullerton. I'm like, I wonder if there's going to be a Fulliston. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I know there wasn't. It was just a, but that was really funny anyway. But I didn't get to, I didn't get to see a lot. I didn't get to see a lot of Chicago, but I, uh, because we actually had a check engine light come on in, in uh, Joliet. And we didn't, it turned out not to be serious. It was no two sensor. We got it fixed and everything is fine. But we didn't know that when we were in Chicago. So, you know, we, first time, first time in Chicago. A check engine light of unknown severity. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm up till four in the morning because we stayed at we crashed at Trey and Jess's place, so I'm I'm up with Trey till four in the morning drinking and on a uh, a call a Zoom call with one of his co-hosts in a banana costume. It was just wild. Editor's note, and I do apologize. There's going to be quite a few editor's notes in this episode. So rather than punishing you guys with that abrasive record pull stop that'll. I'm going to go ahead and just use the laptop microphone, the crappy laptop microphone, so you can tell it's an editor's note. And then also maybe just pull the music down a little bit. I've got a twofer for you. First of all, I failed to mention the name of the co-host in the banana costume, and it was Jeremy Mikowski of Nintendo Main Podcast. And then also I ended up using the wrong pronouns for Trey. Trey and Jess both identify as they, them. And yet I had misgendered Trey as a he, him in referring to Jeremy as his co-host. So my apologies for that, Trey. And I do take pronouns very seriously and make every effort to use the proper pronouns when approaching people, including trying to program myself to use they, them by default when I don't know a person's pronouns. By the way, my pronouns for the curious are he, him, and his. So back to your regularly scheduled programming. And apologies to Trey. And I guess Trey stayed up an hour or two later than me. So here we are at eight o'clock, all zombies going to this little uh, greasy spoon near where they live. And I thought between being exhausted and between my host being exhausted and between not knowing what's wrong with the car, we were just going to forego a lot of the exploration. So we didn't go into downtown. We didn't do any of that stuff. We just, we just got out of there. Uh, but 
I was able to see enough of the city that I was able to get a sense of the scale of it. And uh, it that had an unexpected that had an unexpected impact on me. It's it's so much bigger than Des Moines that I would have you would have thought I would be like, oh my god, I'm so I'm so humbled, I'm so small. You know, we're so small, mm-hmm. but but it actually so we talked last episode about how proportionately I'm equidistant from Chicago than I am from Fort Dodge or or a couple, you know, the other towns that are Fort Dodge size in, yeah, in the yeah. state, like Marshalltown or whatever, right? Well, so when I go to, I go to Marshalltown a lot more than I go to Fort Dodge, but when I go to Marshalltown, I look at it, I'm like, this must be what Des Moines looks like to Chicago. <laughs> right. And it's kind of, kind of, you know, it's like, that's kind of, that's not a flattering thought. But when I got to Chicago, I'm like, oh my God, this is what Des Moines looks like to Marshalltown. Mm-hmm. And and so being in the place so much bigger than us was actually a lot more flattering and affirming for me than being in the place so much smaller than us. You know, it I, I, I had the presupposition that we were a middle thing. You know, we were we were a baby bear's bed between the two extremes. And going to Chicago just reinforced that for me. I believe that a lot more strongly now after the trip than I did before the trip. So um but we got to get back. You know, we're hoping within the next six to 12 months, we'll be back. And I will make it a point to give you more heads up. And I'll make it a point to get some time to myself so I'm not bringing a cadre with me. And we, you, you will have to make good on that promise you made me all the way back in 2014 to show me around to some of the microbrewers up there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I will have to do that, yeah. I don't even know what's open anymore. That's, that's the confusing part. I have to see what's still around after after uh, the end of quarantine. Oh, well, so you know, it's places, funny. you know, a lot, well, there's been a few things. I mean, I, we're, we're probably getting way off topic, but like th- there've been a few, like, I mean, some breweries didn't really survive, um, the, the whole quarantine thing. Others got bought by like InBev or like, I don't think Miller Coors is on the same kind of acquisition spree, but like, you know, like there was always a, a, a brewery in Chicago, Goose Island. And, and for decades, that was like a Chicago exclusive and, and that got acquired. Mm-hmm years ago and now i don't know which other breweries have been acquired i believe one or two others might have been absorbed by one of these big companies well if it makes you if if this puts it in perspective for you i'm quite well familiar with goose island from here in des moines yeah well because 10 years ago they were bought and everybody yeah yeah that's the point i'm making yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> well we'll we'll have to find something yeah we'll have to yeah. find something i mean you know, I mean, if and if I come next year, it'll be ten years since we've saw since we've seen yeah, each other. That's true. Yeah, that's about so right. Yeah. We'll both be grayer than we were back then. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. I, I there was some other piece of news I wanted to talk about. You know what though? For the sake of moving along, I'm going to forget about it for now. And if I remember in a future track, we'll we'll come back to that subject. So I'm trying to think if there's any other re- really relevant top of the show stuff I need to bring up. I know I'm forgetting something important. Uh, you'll so, you'll remember it eventually. Editor's note. There are some very important ones that I am forgetting here in this intro, but most of them come up later in the show, and, and I'll interrupt again after the final one if there's anything I missed. So, meanwhile, game on. Like, you know, after you leave the grocery store, you remember what you went there for in the first place. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, not always. Uh, but anyway, yes, let's, for now, let's, let's move on. What is your... Uh, what is your C48? Oh, oh, one one thing, one thing. The format of this episode is going to be the same as the format of our last year's Masters of EGM, which is going to be ever an ever so slight deviation from a typical Channel 2. Uh, 
we're go we're, what we did is he picked four composers, I picked four composers, and then we each picked one track from all eight. So, you know, you heard John's track from John's composer. You're about to hear Hugh's track from John's mm -hmm. composer, and then, and then so on and so forth. So, what is your C418 track? Uh, I would I again I wasn't real familiar with um with with, with his work um again because I've only seen Minecraft I, I never really even thought about like who the composer was or anything uh, but I picked a, a more recent game for PC called uh, Catacomb Snatch I was called a Catacomb Search that would have been a good title too in <laughs> um, this uh, this track is called Enforcer Britannica.
All right, so that is Enforcer Britannica from Catacomb Snatch. Some people here it call it Catacomb Search, I've heard. Okay. No, that, that's that, interesting. Just, just me. Oh. oh. <laughs> just me and me. Well. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought this was a really fun song. This would have fit well on, like, our uh, uh, dance music episode, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's got a nice dynamic of energy. So you got the really chill part. You've got the really bombastic part. Uh, I mean, not super bombastic. This isn't really, I don't know, on a scale of 1 to 10, this is maybe a 6. But it's it's really it's a really nice track. It's really kind of a mix of flavors, I guess. And it's it's got a lot of chippy sounds, but it doesn't sound like it's chip faithful. It sounds like there's some modern stuff in there, too. So... Now, what do you know about this game? I don't know anything about it. I, I know absolutely nothing about it. I, I simply was looking at other other works by the same composer, and okay, this one sounded interesting. You know, it sounded the the I mean, the, the game sounded interesting. So I started listening to the soundtrack. I think originally I picked a song from a different composer in the same soundtrack because that one was good too, and then uh, uh, landed on this one. Okay, well, so I have I have on my phone. Uh, a track list or a list of games that he did and it's it's not huge you know it's it most of it starts with minecraft in <laughs> uh, this one this this game's not actually even on Moby games uh, there's there's a game called k2 uh, a game called Ampli amplitude a game called I was a teenage exorcist I'm sorry exo colonist so you know what though people on the internet sometimes call it I was a teenage exorcist <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's so it's so weird that this guy bagged the biggest game in the world but is kind of obscure outside of that i that that makes him magical for this that makes daniel magical for yeah. this. so i guess it depends what his cut was of minecraft um mm -hmm. maybe maybe working isn't his top priority you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. i don't know if he was just played a if they just basically paid him like a thousand dollars to make the soundtrack and that was his contract that that's that's pretty bad but if it's like you get 0.0001% of revenue then he's doing pretty good yeah 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 uh i don't know that'd be an interesting question to look up yeah i'm, yeah. I'm not going to right now i'm not going to either no it's just it's sort of interesting but yeah i found it just like, like from his personal page and it, it went to like his uh, band camp and here it was I mean, I don't know if this was like, maybe this game was never a big commercial release or never commercial release. I don't know. Um, but I thought it was a fun soundtrack all around. Yeah, well, there was one other composer involved. And the good news is we were it was pretty easy to tell which composer was which. Uh, another guy named Anoso, but I, I don't know anything about this person. But we were able to confirm this track and that you're hearing is, is uh, Daniel. Yeah. 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 So, because of a weird quirk, because of a weird quirk in the format of this episode, just like last year's episode, it's we're not going to trade off perfectly like we usually do. So, you're going to hear two from Hugh in a row, and then you're going to hear two from me in a row. So, Hugh's next track is from his first composer. Why don't you tell us about your composer, and then tell us about the track. Yes, I just have to click pause over here. I was, I was busy looking up uh, uh, how uh, Minecraft royalties work. Um <laughs> So I, I went with... Oh, I can open the notes again. I have too many windows open. I, either get, I gotta get more monitors or, or better attention. Um, I went with uh, Tak Takahiko Abe, who was an early composer for Falcom, only worked on a, a small number of their 
early games. Worked on um, a game that in the U.S. was called uh, Tombs and Treasure. Uh, worked on Xanadu, Scenario 2, Never Counted America. Uh, Dragon Slayer Jr., Never Counted America. And then just, from the credits I could find, just a couple games after Falcom. So a, a PC Engine game and something called Hagane, which I understand has a big um, cult following. And, uh, no, I'm sorry, I understand that game has like a community of those people who really love that game. Um, okay. I only learned about it a few years ago. Uh, but I went with a game from, in Japan, it was called Azteca 2. And in the U.S., we got it as uh, Tombs and Treasure. And this okay. is, um, it's just called uh, Tem Templo del Sol, Temple of, of the Sun, obviously. And mm -hmm. uh, it's the intro track to the game. And uh, yeah, let's play it. So yeah, uh, Te Templo del Sol from uh, Azteca 2. This is the PC-88 version, not the NES version. Um, NES version was a different... was, I, I suppose, ultimately the same composer, but someone else actually did the, um, you know, the NSF conversion. It sounds a little bit different. It's a good soundtrack. Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely mm -hmm. a very different sound than the PC-88 original. Yeah. Yeah, well, I love... I love the PC-88 and 98 sound. You know, it's... It's like a, it's like a, well, fundamentally it's the same underpinning technology as the Sega Genesis, but it's, uh, you know, the, the lesser of the two chips has fewer sound channels. Uh, the more robust of the two chips has more sound channels. It has a big sampler source thing basically, but 
but um, you know it's got a higher bitrate output, so it sounds a little cleaner. But the, in terms of the voices they could achieve with the FM channels, it's actually identical to the Genesis. So, <laughs> so just a cleaner Sega Genesis, basically. Uh, I love the sound of, and I love what they've done with with what they did with that that system for music in general. You know, all the all the Japanese story games that never came to America. Not all of them safe for work, mind you, but so much good music in in this system. I I, I think that the video game, the VGM community as as a whole, has really kind of started paying a lot more attention to the system, which is a good thing. But but um. I still think it's just a treasure that's barely been explored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Speaking of tombs and treasures. Um, so do you know, I mean, other than the name, Temple of the Sun, Templo del Sol, yeah. uh, do you, what do you know about what's happening in the game here? Well, this is just the, this is just the title screen. So this is oh. uh, the, the intro. So the premise of the game is... It's an overhead. It's it's a mix of um, visual style. So it's an overhead like exploration game. You're you're in, you know, a series of, of ruins in Mexico, and you're trying to solve why like you know the the professor disappeared. Right. It's that kind of mm. basic sort of Scooby Dooish plot. <laughs> and as you visit different ruins, it changes to like a Shadowgate style perspective, where it's like a point and click oh. puzzle. You know, and you have to like okay. click things and, and do stuff. So it's it was. It felt a little bit like an experimental game. I mean, Falcom never made a game in that style again. Um, or if they did, I it, it's something some Jap, Japan exclusive that I am just blanking on. Okay. Uh, the overhead part, I mean, it was clearly like the same game engine they'd been developing for other overhead RPGs at that point. But then that first-person okay. view was was a little bit different. Um, it's very, it's somewhat different. It's probably less obtuse than Shadowgate, um, but there are some weird puzzles to figure out in it. Okay, I'm looking it up real quick here. The NES one. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I don't think it's a cheap NES game to get, unfortunately, but I'm sure you can find some way to play it if, if you wanted to. Okay. Well, I'm seeing enough that I get the idea. In fact, I actually recognize that title screen, so I must have seen that at some point before. So... Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was a big release, really. Um, it was. It was in America. It was from this weird time where um, Infocom, if you remember them, they're owned by Activision now. Although I don't think they do anything with it. Uh, where Infocom, you know, Infocom's incredible, like the Zork games and stuff. Okay. There was yeah, a yeah. very brief period where they decided to get into publishing um, console games. Okay. So they handled the localization of this game in America because I guess it's a puzzle game, so I guess they figured it fit the Infocom brand. So if you were if you were a US gamer, you would think this was like an Infocom game because like they just have their logo all over the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, versus um, you know, in Japan it's very clearly at the time it was, you know, Falcom. Who who again haven't really done this genre of game since then. Okay. Okay. Well, this is a nice track. I mean, it, I can see it being a title theme. Yeah. 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 Because I was gonna say, if it wasn't a title theme, I would have guessed like a town theme or like a like a story beat thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a whole lot else to say about it. Do you? Uh, no, no. I mean, it's um, 
the rest of the soundtrack is is pretty good i think um doesn't i mean it doesn't sound like like i guess they could have gone and tried to sound something that uh i don't know how to put it but the something that sounded like um i guess they could try to mimic like a like a mexican or you know aztec or inca my like these are you know like, like that style of music, I guess we don't really know what that style of music is because it doesn't exist anymore except for sometimes bands on the street, right? Um, they could have tried that, they didn't. Luckily, it just is kind of a soundtrack that I think could fit into any number of games. Sure, sure. When when that kind of thing is done respectfully, I, I much prefer it over something generic, but when there's no, no context to potentially do it faithfully, maybe it's better to not do it than to trot over something unintentionally so and I, and I realized i threw out a lot of cultures there this is all the ruins everything in the game is mayan i realized like the incans were like three thousand miles away um but it's all like you're exploring mayan ruins and if you've ever been in a major city like you were recently you've probably seen like you know a, a band of like you know, like the pan flute stuff mm -hmm. you know like you've probably mm -hmm. seen that before uh, they could have tried to do something like that but they they didn't sure Sure. I wonder if in Japan sure. they're aware of the American hand flute bands. I would think someone would have to be. Mm. You know, maybe it's not. I, ask a random person on the street, they might not. But uh, there has to be a community that's aware of it and a fan of it. So. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well. Speaking of cities, why don't we go to my next track? Uh, this, my track, my Takahiko Abe track is a track called Machi, which translates city, from the game Susano Densetsu, which translates Legend of the Great King on the PC Engine. And this is actually the track that Hugh had alluded to without naming as we first started talking about Abe-san. So uh, let's go ahead and, and check it out.
Okay, and that's Machi from Susano Densetsu. Uh, yeah, I, you know, during the break, you and I were talking, and really neither one of us know anything about this game, uh, except that it was found on Hugh's list. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it looks like a overhead perspective RPG with like a kind of tactical battle system. And I think okay. you're controlling either a robot or maybe a guy in a mech suit. I'm looking it, it up real quick here. It looks I, like I the I kind saw. of thing that, you know, again, being PC Engine, there was probably no chance it was ever going to get localized for the U.S. But I think it might be, you know, for that period of time in the U.S., it might be, for lack of a better term, too Japanese to have been released in the U.S. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we were not more... Um, culturally absorptive back then like i mean we still struggle with it but we're better as a society in general we're better with it than we were back when this game came out so yeah i'm looking at pictures and and i wonder i'm looking at actually at a picture of a city scene so i wonder if that's the scene where where this music plays yeah i mean it, it has a bit of a city feel to it it's a little bit ominous for a city it doesn't feel like you're in a particularly welcoming city to me Maybe I ended up in the. Maybe I took the wrong turn as I was getting off one five one. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I I did think of one other thing that I was going to bring up in the intro. Uh, we just had a, a channel F episode come out uh, for the highlights to the uh, soundtrack of Stray, and that was a really fun episode. It's you know it's I. I am 99.99999% sure that I don't have the time or the mental energy to try to take on a running channel three. Like I barely have the mm-hmm. time and mental energy with a toddler in the house to do channel one and channel two. So the cha- the odds of this happening are very close to zero. But there was something really special about that channel F. It you know when so channel two. A lot of you guys, a lot of you listeners know that channel two actually began life as a channel F as a one off. Like a year earlier than the show actually launched. It was something, you know, there was a special subject that Hugh and I wanted to address in a format that was unique to both of us. And so we just did an episode that was a proto channel two that we didn't realize at the time was a proto channel two because we didn't have that on our radar, but it became a channel two. And this channel F really has that same kind of feel for me, that same kind of, oh my God, this could be its own channel feel. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out, do it and let me know. I, Again, again, it's if you know I, it, p- the people who say, "Oh, please make a channel out of this," I'm probably not going to be able to make that work anyway. But I just I'm curious to know what people what the what the the boots on the ground say about that episode because I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun. Did you get a chance to hear it? I, I did. No, I just saw it on my feeds and I, I didn't download it yet. I currently um, this is embarrassing. My po- I have a list of podcasts on my phone here. I have a podcast um, you know app. Well, I guess it's mm-hmm. called Spotify. I guess everyone has this app. <laughs> yes. It's not some yes. special app that I have. But I saw this show <laughs> up on Spotify. And um, my current episode, unlisted episode count in Spotify is 56. Well, don't feel bad about that. Because, you know, ever since COVID, my... Before COVID, I was like a like a, a podcast listening warrior. I'd be... I'd, I'd listen to like 30 or 40 episodes a week of various shows, right? I stayed on top of everything. Yeah. Uh, COVID really did a number on me, and and I hear so the, it's much, right? well. No, I'm no, I am. That's 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 oh. the funny thing. I was one of those quote unquote. Well, we were cannon fodder called essential workers, basically. But um, for whatever reason, I never, I you know, I didn't. So there are shows that are so important to me 
you know, one of the most important shows that for me to listen to actually is your other show. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? For every episode I hear on time, there's five episodes I'm like month, like a couple months behind on hearing. If you know, or maybe I don't hear them at all. But I, it's it's not that I don't want to hear them. I you you guys are like top two or three in my priority list and I still miss some of your shows. So because of that, I'm not, I'm not going to bang down anyone's door saying you need to hear this. You need, you know, I don't want to be that guy, but, but when there's something extra special, I will, you know, a handful of people say, Hey, I would actually like you to hear this one. And, and so if you do when, if, and when you get a chance to do that, do that and let me know what you think of it. Yeah. I mean, part of my problem is occasionally I learn about new, um, new podcasts and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the podcast has been going for a few years, and I don't want to listen to, like, every episode, because that seems like a real chore, but maybe I'll add, like, five or six or, or seven episodes, you know, from mm-hmm. uh, from their backlog. And some of the, some of my backlog problem is that. It's just, oh, this, this show sounds cool, and I'll just pick out episodes that sounded fun from the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some of that. Some of that. Sure. Well, f- for me... I want to get more, I want to get back onto faithful listening of those really core important shows to me mm-hmm. before I start really exploring too deeply other shows. You know, the the exception to that has been the Masters of EGM stuff, because I really have tried to be very, very dedicated to hear everything that comes out with the Masters of EGM moniker, because this is a big community thing, right? This is all of us. And so I try to be, I, I make a very conscious effort to try to, even if I'm a week or two behind, I try to at least hear everything. And uh, so I, I, ex- I discover new or semi-new shows that way, but otherwise I'm, I'm mostly just trying to get my feet back under me on the shows that really matter to me. <clears throat> so, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I had to cut a bunch of corners in terms of production quality. Like, cause you know, August, August wanted an episode to release on their 16th birthday. And the original idea was, well, let's get this one out on their birthday. So I, I, I kind of rush job the production on the channel F. And then when I realized, I don't think Hugh and I are going to be able to meet that deadline. Anyway, I went ahead and just banked the channel F and released it on August birthday. So at least we had something. So, uh, <clears throat> and it turns out I was right. <laughs> it turns out I was right. So anyway, uh, I, that was the thing I wanted to, that was an area, one of the things I wanted to bring up. If I think of anything else, I'll interject, but I am ready to move on to the next composer. It's going to be my second composer. And it's, I don't know. Tell me if you feel otherwise, Hugh, but I kind of feel like this is probably the second biggest name of the episode from a composer perspective. Uh, Probably, yeah. I didn't didn't recognize the name, but he has, I think, the largest um, uh, credit list of anyone on here. Okay. Okay. Well, we are talking about Soichi Tirada. Uh, he's he's most well known for things like the Ape Escape series. Uh, for people like me who geeked Fantavision, he was the composer of the Japanese version of Fantavision and Fantavision or Futuri no Fantavision. And they very recently released uh, a kind of a it's it's. I think on paper it's a sequel, but I really think it's more of a remaster of the original. It's Fantavision 2020X on the PS5 and the PC, and I played it on Steam Deck. And that's what you're going to hear. We're going to hear Subspace 2 from Fanavision 2020X. So let's dig in.
Okay, and that's Subspace 2 from Fantavision 2020X. What's incredible about the soundtrack is it is very minimally changed from the original soundtrack. Like, this is technically a different piece of music than Subspace from the first one, but it is a very mild reprise. It is very close to the original track. In fact, if anything, to be honest, if anything, I think I might actually have a slight preference for the original. But uh, I wanted to feature something from the brand new game. Yeah, yeah. So now... We featured some some music from the North American Fanavision soundtrack. Now we featured music from the Japanese soundtrack. So now I got to figure out a way to work the European one in for some future episode. <laughs> yes, you just do a whole episode on on that topic. That'd be a channel well, three though. That would do too. <laughs> if I ever, if channel three ever gets off the ground, so I think I might get in very serious trouble with the misses if I try to take on channel three. <laughs> So, but you know, we'll see. 
We'll see. Anyway, um, what do, what does this track do for you? Yeah, I mean, I like it. The, the intro sounds like a different composer almost, but then it gets into this, for lack of a better term, kind of drum and bass style of music, which I, I think he did a lot of. Because I know the track I yep. picked is very much like a drum and bass album. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is. It's a very, you know, this is a mid-90s, you know, dance song. This is the kind of thing you would hear on like a, an Amiga mod channel or something. I can hear that. I can hear that. And you know, uh, it's so funny. Our last episode, we called it house music, but there was no house music. Yeah. And Sweet Chitrata is kind of known for house music. Yeah. And you know, this might even fall under the house banner. I, I don't really, I, I don't have a great sense of where the banners or where the borders are between subgenres, but it, it's funny. Right? The episode after house music, we, we feature something that could possibly be considered house music. Yeah. But the thing that actually inspired me to pick Tarada-san for, for one of my composers is at the time we were just entering planning phase for this, I was listening to a, an album of his music and another composer's music that was outside of VGM. It was, uh, oh my goodness, I'm going to take one second to look up this album yeah, so I have the name. Uh, but it was it was non-VGM uh, Tarada music. Oh! Nope, that's not supposed to be for ah, stop it. <laughs> you know what's funny is I'm probably actually gonna leave that in the episode. I don't even know what that was. It just started playing some feed. Okay, so the name of the album. It was a it was a comp it was a 2015 compilation of early 90s music. It was called Sounds from the Far East. And every looks like every track on here, with the exception of one, is actually composed by Suichi Tarada himself. And the exception to it is a track by Shinichi Yokoda. But there's some really great music on that album. I, I would I would recommend anyone within the sound of my voice to check that album out. It's really, really good. And it's it's kind of what pushed me to choose Tarada Sun. Mm -hmm. But I think that's I think that's everything I have well, okay, except to say this is the now the fifth game I've beaten on the Steam Deck. But of course Fanavision's an incredibly short game, so that's not that's not a tremendous feat. Uh what tell us about your uh, Tarada soundtrack? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good idea. I picked. Um, I was kind of flipping through games. I um, I landed on one called Ape Escape on the Loose for PlayStation Portable. Um, we don't mm -hmm. we don't do a lot of PSP games, and I just like this title, so I decided I would dig into the soundtrack a bit, and I picked a track called uh, TV Tower, which is for sure okay. a kind of breakbeat type of song. Oh sure, for yeah. sure. Okay, well let's let's give it a listen. Oh, 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 
Alright, yeah, so TV Tower from Ape Escape on the Loose. Uh, a game I don't know much about. I know an ape has escaped and is apparently on the loose. <laughs> um, first you escape and then you're on the loose. <laughs> that You know, that's what I glean from the title as well, yes. <laughs> yeah, I like games where the title is just is just accurate, right? I mean, it, maybe, maybe it turns out this is a like, tactical RPG or something. <laughs> but I assume you're probably an ape. I don't know if you're trying to catch the ape or if you are the ape. I would guess you are the ape. Um, you know, I wonder. I, I'm going to try to look up an image here. Um, based on what I'm seeing, you have a fishing net and are trying to catch escaped apes. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm seeing as well. So it seems like multiple apes have escaped. Yeah, well, there's a there's a colon in there though, so it's it's not necessarily signifying that it's on the loose. Well, at least I'm okay. Maybe not. You know, actually, there's not a colon on the box, but the image I'm looking at has a colon. I think there's an implied colon. Okay. Well, apes have escaped, and you have to catch them. Yes. That's the plot of the game. Um, looks, I mean, like a PS1, PSP era game for sure. Mm -hmm. That has the real real kind of look to it. Um. I, I, I don't know what the TV tower stage looks like, but I, if I scroll through some playthroughs, I think I see the stage that is probably TV tower. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything. I'm seeing something with sharks, though, which kind of goes off off script, but... Because um, yeah. then shark escape. Yeah, it kind of looks like a fun game. I, I it does. It looks bad. I mean, there's one level that appears to have volcanoes and dinosaurs. Okay. So, that seems like a good time. But we listen to the soundtrack, yeah. it all kind of sounds like this. I mean, all, the songs all have this kind of uh, theme to it. You know, they all are, again, what are called drum and bass or breakbeat type of songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it actually is pretty keeping in, in keeping with what I've heard of Tarada-san's work. You know, this, this is very believably him. And, you know, the part I like about it so much is when it goes chill for a second. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we're coming up on that, that yeah. part here. Those nice, those kind of nice chords. I, I really like those. I don't, you know, in fact, if it weren't for those chords, I don't know how much that, that this track would have done for me, but because of those yeah. chords, it does a lot. Yeah, the little change up, yeah. Yeah, 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 what's happening right here. So, well, I, I think I am ready to move on. Why don't you tell yeah. us about the next composer? Uh, yeah. Uh, Katsumi Tanaka, who we may have mentioned from the Sega's, in the Sega CD episode. I believe that could have come up. Um, which game? Sorry, you have to cut this part because I just didn't have my stuff together. It was the mech game. It was the mech game. It was the Robo Robo Leste, the one that opened the episode. Yes, yeah, the one yeah. that I, I said was like the most Sega CD sounding song ever. Yes. So, uh, yeah, uh, Katsumi Tanaka worked on mostly Sega CD and TurboGrafx CD games. Um, some of them, I mean, some of them include the game I'm going to talk about here. There were, there were some that were commercial successes. Uh, but at least in the U.S., I mean, I think I see one game on the list here that actually came out in America. So I think that qualifies I think it's, as obscure. I think it's the one I feature. 
Um, well, Robo Lucy, of course, you know, came out. So I think yeah, yeah. you picked it. Oh, so it must be two then. Yeah. Okay. Very small number of games. Uh, but I picked uh, Poyo Poyo CD. I'm sure I mispronounced that. And uh, this track is called Memories of Poyo Poyo. Here we are, Memories of Poyo Poyo, or however it's pronounced, on PC Engine CD. Um, even though this exact game never came out in America, there are many variations. I believe uh, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine and Kirby's Avalanche are both this game. They're Well, they're definitely reskins of, a, of some Puyo Puyo yeah. game. Yeah. Puyo Puyo 2, I don't think... I, did, that one I don't think ever came out in America back in the day, but it has come to us through collections and stuff. Like, I think it's on the, the Switch. Nintendo Switch Online. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would believe it's on there. I, I don't recall offhand if it is, but they have released a lot of Super Famicom games that don't require, like, heavy Japanese reading to play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I want to say it was the... Okay, I gotta, I gotta look here. Puyo Puyo Tsu. Um, Nintendo Switch. If I could type, God, if I could type. Ah, it's not part of the Genesis collection. It is uh, a standalone Sega Ages release. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
And I want to say I even have it. Uh, maybe. I'm not going that part I'm not going to look up right now. Uh, we'll just leave the listeners in suspense for that. But I love this I love this track. It's there's not there's nothing like super some nothing super intense about nothing that really jumps off the page. It's just this really nice tight package. It's this great use of the This is a, a PC Engine CD game, but this is using the the, the stock Turbographic sound chip. This isn't CD audio. Yeah, exactly. It's for sure sounds like it. Yeah, because I, I ripped the CD for this a while ago. And mm-hmm. uh, I have this PC engine somewhere here. Okay. And I'm like, I don't remember the song at all because I ripped the audio, but I haven't really played the game that much. Okay. Yeah. Um, the only, other than this track, the only track I think I've actually heard from Puyo Puyo CD is uh, the same track that was the same composition that was area C in the mega drive one. Cause that's the, ver- that's the track. That's the highlight track of Puyo Puyo Tsu for me is area C. Uh, the mega drive version is my favorite. The super Famicom version is really great. And then the, that also ended up in like the PlayStation and Saturn Puyo Puyo, uh, Puyo Puyo games. So it's been all over the place. Uh, but I heard the PC engine CD one and, and, and I, absolutely did not dislike it but it was probably my least favorite rendition because it was so such a minimal use of the you know we talk about the the pc engine turbo graphic sound chip we've talked before how people call it quote unquote quote unquote 12 bit as in like a transitional form between 8 bit and 16 bit i i don't think you can say it it perfectly uh perfectly rises to the level of genesis and super nes so i would call it quote unquote 14 bit but what I really, what kind of irks me sometimes is when they, they, they don't use the sound chip to its potential. Like something sounds "quote unquote" ten bit, right? God, I, I'm hating that I'm using these terms. Yeah. You know, because that's so technically imprecise. I mean, if we if we want to be technical, the PC Engine sound chip is five bit. If we really want to be technical, but you know, in, in terms of something that sounds closer to eight bit than sixteen bit, you know, I it kind of sometimes it grates on me when the PC Engine is used that way, uh, and I felt like the the rendition of this not not the track we're hearing here but the track the track i was referring to from this game sounded closer to an nes than a super nes or genesis so but this track is really i really this track is really special i i really like what this track does do you have anything else you want to say about it no no i mean this is another game that when i import i don't know what the how uh pc engine imports work today but at the time this was really cheap when i bought it i bought it Mm. for like under easily under ten dollars um, who knows okay. today what it goes for? Um, but it's, it's a good game to import because again, you can play it on U.S. hardware, and you don't really have to know much about the you know the, the Japanese language to get through it. Right, because the the uh, CD portion of the Turbo Graphics is not region locked. Right. And the and the even the chip the Hue card part is is only region locked in terms of the pinout. So yeah, if you yeah. get an adapter that swaps the pin positions, you can play. In fact, I actually own a PC engine, a Japanese PC engine game. I have Street Fighter Two. Yeah. And I can play it on my American Turbo Duo with this adapter. So. Yeah, you know the funny thing is just buying like a at this point buying like a used like basic PC engine from Japan is about the same as buying an adapter. I think. Uh, pretty close. I might actually. I mean, you know, we with with all the birthdays and anniversaries and stuff, our our discretionary income is basically nothing. But uh, when when finances improve a little bit, I might I might pick up a like a bare bones PC engine. So oh, stay stay tuned, stay tuned, listeners. Um, so we talked about 
we talked about Tanaka-san only having like two tracks that came to America, and one of them was Robo Aleste, and the other one is my selection. It is it is a track called Black Hole Anomalies from the game Space Megaforce, and this is actually a Super NES track. He didn't do a lot of Super NES music, did he? Uh, no, I think this is it. Okay, well let's let's hear what he let's hear what magic he made with the SPC seven hundred. Okay, and this is Black Hole Anomalies. If, if memory serves, this actually doesn't sound super far from that Robo Aleste track. It does not, actually. It's pretty, pretty similar, yeah. I mean, it's using, it's using really tiny samples. Everything has kind of a tinny, kind of a tinny sound to it. But in terms of the composition, this very much reminds me of that Robo Aleste track. And and even being even being mildly critical of the samples used, I think this is a fantastic piece of music. It's a really fun track to listen to. It's got, you know, this uh, that second kind of mode where it gets a little more emotional. I mean, it still keeps the beat going. It doesn't chill out, but there's a little bit of a, I guess, the bridge. There's a little bit more emotion to it. And and then you've got you've got this moment that's coming up right now. Or here in a, just a second with the that that you know that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a fun track. I'm really glad I found it. Actually, uh, I really like this track quite a bit. And you know what's funny? I I added in our little 
work notes. I said it's really fun when you're when you're trying to find a track for a composer you're not all that familiar with, and you're just kind of lucky dipping, and all of a sudden you see a box art you recognize. Mm-hmm. You know, I I saw the box art for this game. I'm like, holy crap, I've seen that before. So that kind of locked me in on it. You know, beyond that though, I mean, beyond that, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this about this game or this track. I don't know anything about this game except for the box art and this piece. You know, some of the music from it, but. I uh, I can't say the same thing about our next composer and our next track. Our, our next track is, I'd say, my second favorite track from one of my all-time favorite soundtracks, despite the game being garbage. Or, <laughs> okay. I, I think calling the game garbage is overstatement. I don't think it's garbage. I think it's it's definitely not gold. It's, it's not a great game, but it's not a horrible game either. Uh, it will be the second time we've heard from this game on Channel 2, and we've heard the entire soundtrack way back when on Channel 1. Actually, C1E13. So our channel one equivalent to this episode even. It's going to be Xenolan heavily armored from Cosmic Carnage on the 32X. So let's dig in. Okay, and that's Xena Lan, heavily armored from Cosmic Carnage. Um, yeah, I this track it means so much to me. This is this is my this is Christmas 1994. Okay. This is you know this is that brand new system that even with the game being garbage, I'm not. I keep saying garbage. Even with the game not being a particularly great game, it was a fun tech demo for the 32X. You know, you've got this sprites that zoom in and out you've got kind of the ragdoll physics you've got just a ton of colors it was i mean it's super pixelated but otherwise it's actually a really kind of great looking game yeah so i i think the problem is it's a visually pretty impressive game um but it's a one-on-one fighter and you're comparing it to other one-on-one fighters that were available in 1994 
and mm. you know mechanically comparing Cosmic Carnage um, to Mortal Kombat 2 or Street Fighter 2 or <laughs> even Samurai Showdown. Samurai Showdown, I don't really like the way it plays, but um, but comparing it to any of those games, it's it's just not there, right? I mean, there were even even Eternal Champions on Sega CD was like a much better fighting game at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that kind of mm-hmm. '95. Wait, hold on. Well, Eternal Champions on cartridge for sure was out. Um, I'll, I'll double check the release dates later, but it just it didn't really hold up um, control wise to the other one on one fighters that were available at the time. That that's really the problem. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. It, it, there was there was a lot of balance issues. You know, like there there were quote unquote good guys and bad guys. It was so the setup is you've got a ship with these intergalactic police officers basically mm-hmm. and these intergalactic criminals that are prisoners on the ship and then some catastrophe happens and and uh there's like one escape pod left and so all eight of the characters basically fight to the death for the seat on the escape pod so it's it's cops versus robbers but also robbers versus robbers and cops versus cops basically right and what you have is the the bad guys only have the one mode you know you've, you there's only one you know Naja for whatever you know for instance but the good guys the cops have two modes there's a light armored mode and a heavy armored mode and you can mix and match the the costume pieces and the costume pieces can be broken off so you know the bad guys you can't you don't have any configuration potential whatsoever but you're also I don't think you can lose your your special powers because I don't think you can lose your armor as the bad guy. But as the good guy, you can have your armor knocked off, and all of a sudden you don't have the special moves any the special moves anymore. You know what I mean? So it's an it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, con- conceptually, it's actually a pretty neat dynamic, but the execution of it is not horrible enough to not be fun, but not good enough to you know to have this thing rise above mediocrity as a as a mechanical game. So. But the soundtrack, God, I love the soundtrack. This is really one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. And, you know, we talked about this when we, the last time we featured Cosmic Carnage. The 32X did add some extra sound channels to what the Genesis, the base Genesis brings. But a lot of, a lot of 32X games don't use that for music. They use it for voice clips or sound effects, right? You know, a, a lot of 32X games, the music is just base Genesis. Mm-hmm. And, and while this is, a really excellent example of base uni- Genesis sound usage. This is just base Genesis. And, uh, although I really, yeah, I just, I love the sound font. I really love what they do with this whole piece. Just not just the compositions, the sound font, you know, we talked and I don't, I really, I really am not trying to get into super NES versus Genesis because they each have their strengths. They each have their pros and cons. And as you've said before, even more important than the comparative hardware is just how is it used on a particular yeah. game? You know, like what the composer does with it is far more important than the actual chips themselves. But for me, anyway, we just came off that, that Super NES track that used kind of those tinny samples. And then you have these really robust synthesis here. For my money, I much prefer the sound of this to what we heard before mm-hmm. from, a, from a, a sound font perspective. Yeah, yeah. You know. So, and uh, so anyway, our next track is going to use this same sound system, and it's going to sound—it's not going to sound as robust, is it? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I picked kind of a short track. I was—I was flipping through, uh, you know, the the composer's resume, 
And this title just jumped out because I'm like, I don't remember a single song from this game. Like, I don't remember this game having, like, a, a particularly memorable soundtrack, but I didn't play it a lot either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I decided to give it a try, and uh, that game is Pat Riley Basketball on, on Sega Genesis. Okay. And what track are we hearing? Uh, this is called Halftime, which I assume plays at halftime. That would, that would be unless it's... Time for it. Unless it's just a, a misnomer. <laughs> well, I was going to say, unless it's a tactical RPG. Right. Unless it could be. <laughs> Pat Riley basketball for a tactical RPG. Uh, let's go to listen. So that's halftime. This is a very peppy halftime. They've, they've got mm-hmm. some kind of good show. You've been to a, like a live NBA game before? Well, I've been to uh, so I've been to an NBA D League game. Okay. Because you know, so like the the semi the the tier immediately below pro. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, they yeah. tend to yeah. So, they, they probably have a team in Des Moines or something, right? Well, so your mileage may vary on how big of a deal this yeah. is, but we have been. We, I take it as a feather in the cap because there are a lot of cities a lot bigger in Des Moines that that don't get this distinction. But we are we were we were listed as the number one city in America for semi pro sports. Like we have we have semi pro basketball, we have semi pro baseball, we have semi pro hockey. We they're about to build a soccer stadium, so we can have semi pro soccer. You know, just arena football. You, I mean, I think we're the most storied. The the Barnstormers, I think, is the most storied team in arena football. Okay, you know, all right. So you know, we we don't have pro pro but we're like the king of semi-pro yeah yeah you you've got the, everything yeah and you have obviously college teams and, and everything else out there sure of course yeah editor's note one thing i forgot to mention in the recording is below semi-pro you know so a couple tiers down from triple a we have a metric poop ton of uh, lower tier minor league sports in Des Moines too. You know, just one example we have uh, at the AAA semi-pro hockey level the a- we have uh, the AHL level, we have the Iowa Wild, which is the farm team of the Minnesota Wild but then below that at the, I think it's NH uh, NASL NA, no, what is the what? what is the NAHL, is it? USHL, USHL. At the USHL level, we also have the Des Moines Buccaneers hockey team. So that's just an example. We have the Des Moines Menace uh, soccer team at the same level as the same equivalent level as the the Buccaneers, and and so on and so forth. So just f- for sports, this is actually a pretty remarkable midsize city. So back at back at our regulars, back to our regularly scheduled program. God, I can't believe I have to edit editor's notes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but, but set for for the purposes of what you're asking, we can consider semi-pro essentially analogous to pro. You you you're at the game. It's halftime. They put on a big show. And so, yes, I have had that kind of experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is when, like, so, you know, if you go to a Bulls game, this is when like the the Jesse White tumblers come out, right? Okay. It's okay. a real like peppy, you know, people doing gymnastics live kind of show. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I've been to. 
Bulls and Bucks games. I don't remember the Bucks. I, the Bucks until the Bucks so long ago. But I went to the Bucks back when they were garbage and you could get tickets for next to nothing. Um, sure. So now what? Uh, Bucks games are... But now Bucks tickets are far more valuable than Bulls tickets right now. Sure. Um, but the I don't remember the Bucks doing much. But the, the Bulls have always had like, you know, a bit, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance at halftime and before the game and during commercial breaks. Sure. Well, and I and and I've not been to an NBA game, and I've not been to an NHL game, but I have been to MLB and NFL games. You know, up in Minneapolis. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know. So yeah. Anyway, I'm have I'm as familiar with what you're telling me as I can, as a person who's never been to a Bulls game can be. Yeah. Yeah. Suppose I get Bulls tickets cheap now. Yeah. Well, if I if there's enough heads up time and it's the right time of year, maybe that's maybe that's what we do. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, the thing is, I don't know if I can go. I'm I'm like totally spoiled because I I worked for a, a startup company that had a, a skybox at United okay. Center. Uh, not United Center. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it is United Center. What am I talking about? It is United Center. And you know, I was unfortunately often considered like there'd be like a senior person that went to. <laughs> basically sign off on the tab, the bar tab at the end of the night. Because okay. even though you own a Skybox, there's like, it's a, it's a weird system. It's not unlimited food and beverage there. There's like some amount that comes with the box, but then if you have a lot of like programmers, then you go through that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But anyhow, long story short, I had to go to a lot of Skybox games. And now I don't know if I can possibly sit in, in the cheap seats again. Mm. <laughs> very bad. It's very bad, to, you know, experience. You know. Well, and then if you're a crowd averse... Yeah, well, there's no crowds at the yeah. Bulls game right now. I suppose that's not a big problem. They, oh, they, okay. they are not a good team, and uh, their best player, wow, or one of their better players, is like already announced to be out next season. So, okay, not, okay, not going to be interesting. Anyways, this is a short track. If people don't don't want to hear it on loop too long. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to move on to our next composer, uh, Toshio Murai. Right, uh, worked on yes. a total of eight games during the NES and Turtle Graphics era. Okay. Uh, so, short resume. Um, again, when you see, you know, Turbo Graphics PC Engine, it means there's a lot of games that maybe didn't come out to the U.S., although I think I think overall he had a good number of games that made it to the U.S. And I'm going to okay. pick uh, Wall Street Kid. Um, again, this has different Japanese and U.S. composers credited, so I'm, I'm picking the one that, that he worked on. And uh, this is called Office Theme. Thank you. 
An office theme. This does not sound like an office to me at all. It sounds more like a carnival. Which, depending on the you, type of office you work in, could apply. Well, sometimes office... Well, not a carnival, but a zoo, perhaps. Yeah, so, yeah zoo, <laughs> zoo works out, yeah. Yeah, I don't... You know, okay... It's, it has to be the power of suggestion because if 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 you had presented this to me in a vacuum without any information, it's very very unlikely I would have presumed an office. However, knowing that it's an office, it kind of has, I don't know. To, I guess to quote Steve Hackett, kind of an air conditioned nightmare vibe. All right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Steve Hackett, uh, he's going to be at at uh, there's this, you know, uh, those kind of those concert halls that are kind of old-timey and like really ornate and yeah. and uh yeah so we we have one of those it's not it's not great big but we have one it's called hoyt sherman place and so steve hackett's going to be at hoyt sherman in the in the fall and i'm really hoping to go because outside of peter gabriel hackett is actually probably my favorite genesis alum okay i'm a just a huge fan of the guy so I um I mean even I mean as much as I love Phil Collins as much as the whole world loves Phil Collins I think I'm a bigger Hackett guy than a Collins guy or Mike uh, Rutherford is it Rutherford that's the other one M Mike Rutherford Tony Banks yeah yeah um yep that's the power of five so anyway um but yes yes I can I can see this being an office but but yeah maybe an office with some hijinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're, you're trying to make it big on Wall Street is the purpose of this game. Sure, of course. Of course. Who isn't? <laughs> well, not me. <laughs> yeah. It's a fun track, though. It's it's not, it's, you know, probably not one I'd have on loop for an hour, but it's <laughs> uh, it's it's a fun, enjoyable little thing, you know? Well, that's fun. I think if you play this game, you probably have it on loop for an hour. So. <laughs> oh, I, I can okay. see, like, I, I think it's good for, like, the mid and 40 or whatever it plays for. But, yeah, if it was on loop for an hour, I would, I would go and sing. Well, I, one, of, one, of the, one of the signs that really points to my, to really affirms my suspicions I could possibly, possibly be autistic. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, I have a doctor's appointment on the 12th to start the process to find out. So, you know, hopefully we will be able to move beyond the realm of theoretical to confirm yes or no at some point soon. But... It's that I am so susceptible to repeat one prison. Mm -hmm. It's very easy. Like I, I'll hear a piece and it'll create this headspace and that headspace is kind of like a blanket. And I'm like, I'm not ready to leave this place yet. And so I'll just mash that repeat one button and uh, it might be eight hours later and that piece is still going. And it's not like I'm paying focused attention the whole time. You know, it's background noise, yeah. but it's a never ending, unchanging background noise. And that happens to me all the time. Not now. The eight hours is remarkable. That doesn't. That happen, That's a lot more rare. But to hear the same piece at least two or three times in a row is something that happens to me almost daily. Okay. That's not an exaggeration. At, virtually every day, I'm hearing at least one track more than once in a row. It's that prevalent for me. So this track, though, probably wouldn't be one of them. But my goodness, for a short-term listen, it is a real treat. It really is. It's fun. It's upbeat. Or it's well, upbeat isn't the right word. It's lighthearted. Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. So, so let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my uh, my Madison track is um, a PC Engine track, 
It's from, it's stage six from Cybercore. There is another composer uh, listed with this game, so this it's remotely possible that this track is a Masahiro Teramoto track, but we think it's we think it's uh, uh, Murai-san, and and I love it because it's actually a little weird. But we'll talk about that more on the flip side. Uh, let's go ahead and give it a listen. Okay, yeah, stage six from Cybercore. You know, there's something about that uh, repetition that vaguely, 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 vaguely reminds me of uh, uh, like a really weird, like dark world equivalent of Stepping Out by Joe Jackson. Okay. I I don't hear that, but I do. I I actually do think this is the same composer, though. Um, I think think you mentioned there there was a possibility. This... this, uh, has the same kind of feel as the previous song where it's like yeah this is really fun you know a couple times but if i had this on an hour loop i would probably go crazy (laughs) yeah it's there's so uh for anyone who hears the channel f with the stray soundtrack i mentioned that in among in among other more important musical genres i have this vein that really is into weird experimental crazy music and and this track does appeal to that 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 vein because well so the stray soundtrack I'm 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 gonna say I'm not gonna say much a because it's off topic a b because I don't want to step on my own toes with the episode but they have there's two soundtracks to it there's extra diegetic that stuff that's happening outside the game and that's really kind of beautiful ambient moody music that's really masterfully done and then there's the intra diegetic music which is what's actually playing on the radios and the TVs and stuff in the places in the game in a world where where humans have died off and the robots are left doing their best human lives impersonation. And so you have all this mu- this intradiegetic music is it's just kind of quirky, it's kind of weird because it's like, you know, it's kind of like the uncanny valley of AI generated art versus human generated art. There's just that kind of not quite rightness to the AI art. Well, the composer in this game for the intradiegetic music, it's this really beautiful circle of a human composer trying his damnedest to get in the head of an AI composer that is in turn doing its damnedest to get in the head of a human composer. 
And so there's a lot of really weird music in Stray. And 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 I guess this piece kind of kind of tickles that same nerve, that, that that same receptor in my head that a lot of the Stray soundtrack does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. So anyway, I, I, I'm not going to say anything else about this because I don't want to tread any more on, on that. But so, geez, we are actually make, doing pretty good on time. We are coming up on my last composer. And what's funny, I'll tell you, this is actually the first composer I thought of. Like when, when the subject came up, this composer was the very first one that came up and my track was the very first track to make it on our list. Uh, we're going to go in a very different direction. It's going to be a much more ambient, atmospheric, moody, chill isn't quite the right word, but a much more atmospheric piece. And this is the second time we're hearing from a big name game uh, in this episode. In fact, it's a game that's come up in conversation already this episode. We are going to hear Eternal Conceit from Horizon Forbidden West on the PS4 and PS5. And the composer is uh, Yorish Daman.
Okay, and that's Eternal Conceit from Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, there are other composers listed on the sh soundtrack, so it is conceivable that this is not yours, Damon. Mm -hmm. The other composers are Neos van der Leest, De Flight, and or Oleksa Kozauchuk. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I know how to pronounce Dutch, but I don't know how to pronounce... Uh, that sounds Polish. I don't really know Polish pronunciation very well. So, but it's... Well, and this is actually happening at a very, very... Um, Beautiful is definitely the wrong word, but a, a very kind of solemn. I don't know. It's I don't know. How, I don't. I'm I'm struggling to find the right word for the mood of the moment because it's solemn isn't quite right. Beautiful is definitely not right. Uh, unsettling isn't quite right either. There's a gravity to the moment. It's the kind of it's the kind of moment where everyone just shuts up because something really significant just happened. Yeah, 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 with like a lot of implications to it. And, and, and I'm not going, I can't talk about this without spoilers, so I'm not going to talk about it, but it's such a, it's, it touches on possibly my absolute favorite point in the plot of this story. So it's really, really significant to me. Oh, and I remembered the other big thing, the other big thing I meant to talk about in the intro that I, I spaced on, uh, and it's relevant here. So, I had an opportunity of a lifetime recently. Uh, I had a second appointment with NPR's Hearts of Space. Oh, wow. Hearts of Space program. Well, you knew about this. This is the one I told oh, you about. Oh, yeah, I knew about this but, one. Okay. I thought this was a different yeah, one yeah. than the one I already knew about. Sorry. No, 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 no. Uh, I've, I've told very, I've been, I've told a few people. I've let slip to a few people, but I, I've told very few people about this. Uh, in, in 2019, I was asked to collaborate with NPR's Hearts of Space on the ambience of video game music. And then in late 2022, I was invited back. And that episode released in May of this year. Editor's note, I, I failed to mention the episode number and episode name of the second Hearts of Space episode. It is program 1344. It's called Game Scores 2. You'll never guess what the first one was called. <laughs> and uh, it released in May of 2023. Okay, back to the show. And and uh, the way it worked... Now, and I want to talk about it briefly because I want to set the record straight. Because I have... And, and only because Stephen Hill had insinuated that I should do this. This wasn't me being a glory hog or anything. But I've kind of talked up my role with the Hearts of Space thing at his, at his insistence. But I, I feel like I want to set the record straight and really kind of say what role I really had in all this. And actually, this time... I wasn't alone. Hugh actually was involved in this one too. So, although they mispronounced your name, they called you Hughes. I, I don't care. Well, I it's, I, it's I figured all, you've heard a lot worse. It, it, it all makes up for all the names I butcher all the time. It's, all <laughs> it's, it's, fine. it's your penance. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I honestly don't care. You know, I mean, yeah, I I I actually don't care at all. So that's fine. Well, I so. Even in just the relatively brief time we've worked together, I've had people refer to me, refer to, refer to you to me as like Hugwees or Huges. Yeah, whatever. You know? and, and that's that drives me nuts. So I'm like, oh, I, I I'm glad. Well, okay, I'm glad it bothers you so much less than it bothers me because like I, I think I actually involuntarily spasmed when I heard Hugwees. Okay, I yeah, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> well, yeah. So so anyway, I want to set the record straight on what level of involvement we had because I. I've been getting more credit than I feel I deserve 
and I want to s- fix that. The way the way it worked is now the well the part of it that that is not exaggerated. The probably the coolest part of it was not exaggerated in that I was asked to do this. I was you know it wasn't like hey Stephen Hill can I do this for you and he's like oh okay fine sure you can do this. It was more like hey would you be willing to do this for us and you know Stephen Hill is. A, a hero of mine you know i mean channel one is patterned after hearts of space we've been fans of hearts of space since the 90s my family and and so for for someone who is that big a deal to me that important to me that special to me to ask me to do it was just it blew me away so that part that part was not exaggerated that part is true but steve stephen hill and steve davis are so generous they that you you you, you contribute and then they basically bill you as the main producer when you are, are in fact not the main producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they asked me to get together a list of tracks, and then I gave them the tracks and I gave them information about the tracks. This is 2019 I'm talking about. And then they they would sort through them and say, okay, we want these ones, we don't want these ones. They in 2019 they said, can you give us a few more because you know the ones that we've picked from the ones you've given us don't add up to enough in fact in the 2019 episode there was one track they had to use twice and there was three tracks that they of their own because they they know very little vgm but there were three tracks from the very small pool they did know that they brought well in for the second round i I ended up giving them like 60 tracks and six of them were hughes you know i said hugh do you want in on this and he said okay i can give you a few tracks and so hugh gave me six and i gave them 54 and they ended up picking two of Hughes, and they ended up picking the rest of mine, and and credited Hugh and I as the big names when really we were not. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I'm honored. I am beyond honored that they did that for us. But I just I feel like I've been since 2019, I've been living a small lie, <laughs> and I just want people to know that all I did is you know Hugh and I did is we just gave them a bunch of tracks, and then they they made their selections from that pool. The reason that's relevant, though, is this track is um, was a, a, a candidate was a selection that it was one of the candidate tracks that we provided. And the reason I really should have brought it up during Dryden, the opening track, is the that was actually the closing track of the 2023 Hearts of Space episode. So we opened with the track that Hearts of Space closed with. Okay, and in what should be the final editor's note. I had failed to mention in the recording that we also had Hearts of Space tracks in Big Sound of the Little Guy Volume 2, as well as Candidate tracks. There was one track that was in Game Scores Volume 2, Hearts of Space Game Scores Volume 2, and uh, Nerd Noise Radio Big Sound of the Little Guy Volume 2, but there were probably five, maybe five or six uh, tracks in Big Sound of the Little Guy that were Candidate tracks for Hearts of Space. And could possibly end up in a future game scores. And what's so funny about that is it was kind of a coincidence. I mean, I I gave Stephen and Steve that candidate track list back in February. And I, I didn't know when game scores was going to release. I knew, I, I presumed it would be this year, but I didn't know when. I found out like less than a week before the episode came out that it was, that it was coming out. And it was just a happy coincidence that it was within a couple weeks of the launch of this uh, Nerd Noise Radio episode. So it, it, the, it, that was kind of as close as you can get to pure coincidence, but I thought it was a, a wonderful, magical coincidence. And uh, this should be the final interruption from your editor. Enjoy the rest of the show. 
And uh, there's also one other one other track you'll hear from. We're very close to done, but not quite there. There's one other track you're going to hear from that was also a a, a a candidate track for Hearts of Space that could possibly come up in a future one because that's uh, Stephen Hill has actually already brought up a theoretical game scores three for some future point. And what I had originally and this is relevant to the uh, the audience, especially the Mo VGM audience, is I had suggested to Stephen for game scores three that we make it a collaborative thing let's bring in other podcasters who can bring their own suggest suggested tracks and make a big group thing out of it and he had said well i don't know that i want to be part of like a big mass conversation i said no no no. i'll be the mediator i'll i'll talk to these podcasters on my left hand and i'll talk to you on my right and we'll sort it out that way so it's possible that game scores three whenever it comes out might be a collaborative process or it's possible that might be game scores four because they have indicated there's a bunch of tracks from the mm -hmm. uh, the recent submissions that they will want to use on a future episode so you never know stay tuned but if i hear that it's going to be a collaborative thing i will be reaching out to a ton of podcasters and say hey hey let's do this mm -hmm. so that's 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 all i have here um let's talk about your yorish demand track Oh yeah, uh, that's that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> I forgot where we left off uh, I think this song is completely different. Uh, going back to uh, their early work on Game Boy Advance, this is uh, from Black Belt Challenge. Oh, it's uh, one of their the first games on their resume, and uh, this title is called Violet's Theme, so it's sort of named like a Street Fighter naming convention. Uh, so it's fired up. Yeah, Violet's theme, Black Belt Challenge. I, I put in the notes, this has a very, um, like, 
Genesis uh, chiptune sound to it. Like, if you told me this was some unreleased track from Streets of Rage, I would probably believe you. I can believe that. I can believe that. And, yeah, it's such a nice feel. You know, I will say that of all of your tracks, this is probably my favorite of the day. So okay. when we get to our best of, this is probably going to make that episode. Okay, okay, that's good. Yeah, I really like this track. I, I, I like, it's fun, it's funky. And you know, you know, the part that really gets me is that kind of, yeah, the little That's kind of drop really they have every yeah. 90 seconds or so. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. And just, just for yucks. I don't, I'm never going to share this anywhere probably, but just for yucks, I, I, when I was producing it, I reversed the track just to hear how ridiculous that sound. And that's a lot of fun to yeah. <laughs> hear playing back. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so this is, this is actually Game Boy Advance. This isn't a modern thing that's kind of going for a retro vibe. This is actually old school. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, relatively speaking, it was this century, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, you're right. That's fair because there's, there's not really a set definition of what retro is. I, I will say, I will say what my personal definition is. If, if someone who is legal drinking age was not born when the system released, I'm calling it retro. Okay, that's my personal standard. That's that's fine. I don't I don't actually think it's uh, worth debating. <laughs> so no, it's like, no, I wasn't. Yeah, no, 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 no I wasn't. I mean, with you, I mean that like that sounds worse than I meant it to. I'm like, where this topic comes <laughs> up, I'm like, I don't care. Whatever you, whatever you want to go with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it's worth a debate. But, but that's my personal definition. So, so, anyway, yeah. No, this is great. This is. This is, this is, you, listeners, you are almost definitely going to hear this track at the end of the year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I can move on to my uh, last composer, who's actually, when I was talking early on about, I thought of doing an episode about composers who only ever did one album. This was one of the people on the list, and it was about the only one. And it's kind of weird because, like, when you start to look at people who did, like, one game soundtrack, you get some really oddball stuff in there. Uh, mm -hmm. You get, like, like Trent Reznor worked on Quake, but didn't really... Like, Nine Inch Nails appears on other game soundtracks, but not, like, he was not composer of those game soundtracks, if that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, like, Brian May of Queen did one game soundtrack. Oh, my goodness. I did not know that. Tell me. Tell uh, me real quick. It's Rise of Robots. Oh, not a yes, very I did game. know that. You, you will, you I will did think know that. Cosmic Carnage is a masterpiece if you play that. Well, I know that because I actually had the 3DO version of of that game once upon a time. Right. So, so that, yes, you're yeah. right. So a lot of people that are actually like real big names show up as composing one game. So I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, this isn't mm -hmm. a good topic after all, and it's too hard to find. You know, anytime I think I found a composer who worked on like one game, it turns out, oh, there's some PC Engine game they also did. You know, it's just impossible. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um... Uh, what what I did find along the way though was I want to make sure I I'm not going to pronounce this right. So again, it's all fair game. Um, <laughs> Yoshihiko Miyazaki, who appears to be a programmer who made a game soundtrack out of necessity. Okay. Uh, which was I think common in the early days. Like, who's going to do the music for this? I don't know. I guess I'll do it. Right. <laughs> like. Sure, of course. Uh, it, it, they did the soundtrack for J.B. Harold Murder Club. Um, a fairly obscure game. I happen to like the game. Um, I like the way it, it's... I guess I like the format of the game. Like, I could see myself one day trying to develop a game in the same style. Mm -hmm. um, 
perhaps maybe make it a little bit easier to solve. Like, I, I did an article sometime over COVID about how to solve JB Herald Murder Club, and I literally had to, like, analyze the save RAM to figure out how to solve the game. Interesting. Because there is a, there are numerous places where you can put the game into an unsolvable state. Mm. So, I don't know if that was by design, you know, because they're selling you a $60 game that really is only a couple hours at most. So maybe they made it, like, intentionally very hard to solve. Um, but anyhow, um, it's, it's kind of a neat game. I overall like the format, other than, again, that you have to hack the save RAM to figure out how to solve it. Um, and I'm going to go with the song from the uh, PC-88 version, although most people have probably... Anyone that's played it has probably played it on PC Engine CD. That's the only... Okay. We got that in America. It wasn't like a huge success, but when people get into emulation, that's probably one they try. And this is called um, Search Break slash Coffee Break. And the version I'm going off is actually off a sound collection cassette that was released in Japan. So it's the original soundtrack, but they, they have to do... The version that's out online happens to be a rip of the soundtrack you could like buy in a store. So is this so? Are, what we're about to hear is it an actual YouTube rip of a cassette tape? It, it's a yeah. My understanding is this is the YouTube rip of the cassette tape that is the soundtrack for the game, the PC eighty eight soundtrack for the game. I think I follow that. <laughs> so they released a soundtrack for the game on cassette. That's the PC eighty eight version, and someone ripped that cassette to YouTube. Okay, all right. It sounds okay, pretty good for a, for a cassette rip. So. Uh, sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, search break, coffee break. Uh, let's go. JB Herald Murder Club Search Break slash Coffee Break. This is one where, unlike Wall Street Kid, if you just heard the song in a vacuum, you would say this is Coffee Break. Well, it it has kind of a noir sound to it, I think. So I don't know if I would necessarily think coffee, but I, I would think like a murder club 
yeah. mystery game. Bird, yeah, sure, know. sure. I would go coffee. Sure. I could get coffee shop from this. I could go detective game. Either one, yeah. Yeah, detective game. Why didn't I think to just say that? Yes. That's much simpler than what I was trying to do. Well, yeah, it, worked. it works really well. I, I think um, you did a good job with this. Yeah, I like my favorite. Yeah, no, well, I we've talked we talked about how much I love the sound of the PC eighty eight ninety eight. Uh, I won't go down that road again, but the sound the sound that I really like is kind of that kah sound, you know, yeah. that that one. Yeah, yeah. So actually, let's see. Oh. Yeah, you start in the background there. I think, yeah. yeah, I'm making a list of um, what tracks we have to bring up a, oh at this moment thing so i know i have to like do a precise sync up oh okay okay yeah yeah so uh, all right yeah. so um, yeah jb herald murder club strange game I, I don't necessarily know that it's for everyone but if you want to solve it i, I did post a solution so so um i do have a question yeah. about that is it is it <sighs> castlevania 2 on the nes mm -hmm. i'm 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 playing that I was playing that right now because I, I have been feeling as much as I love Tears of the Kingdom. I've been feeling a, I've been pushing myself so hard on it. I'm feeling a little burnout, so I've been getting a little bit of time away back on the Steam Deck with like smaller games. And with the Steam Summer Sale, I bought the Castlevania and Contra Legacy collections, and I was playing Castlevania Two yesterday. And I love Castlevania Two, uh, unironically, but it's, it gets a lot of heat for being a poor translation and so that really obscures a lot of like the clues and stuff it makes it really opaque and so my question is is that's what is that what's going on here with jb harold nope. murder club is it like a it's not okay no it's, it's not, that you it's literally just, can put the game into a state where you can't win it so um you know, along the way like you meet different suspects and if you collect enough evidence about a suspect you can arrest them and then once you arrest that suspect they're at the you can only find them at the police station and then you can interrogate them at the police station but once you've arrested okay. someone, any other like events that are supposed to occur involving them won't be available. Okay. So if you arrest someone at the wrong time, you then can't go and trigger other events that you need to solve the game because a key person is now in the police station. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. So it's not the same kind. Yeah. Of thing yeah. And again, I don't know if it's a bug or if they're. It's just like it's not a very long game, so they did it this way so you'd have to try over i guess but it never tells you like oh you're stuck you can't win now mm. like it, it, it's not obvious at all what you would do yeah you might spend another hour or two bang you in a fruitless bang your pursuit. head yeah which which i did and then yeah. i'm like i'm just gonna figure out how to crack the save ram so i can understand <laughs> there's really not much cracking involved it's pretty easy and understand like how different event flags get set and then figure out what you know what sequence I actually have to do things in to, mm. to trigger the ending. Mm. It was mm -hmm. it was definitely a I, I had a very boring weekend. Um, <laughs> well, but that is still a skill that most of us don't have. You know, you kind of treat it as a trivial thing, but that's something that you went a place that most of us really couldn't go. Yeah, it was. I it is. It, it's actually like if you're ever going to get into like save ram hacking, this is really one of the easiest ones to look at. Okay. Um, because okay. like JB Herald doesn't. Um, I was also doing an article some time ago on like um, the original Legend of Heroes game on on PC Engine and internal graphics. In okay. that one, the save RAM has like a checksum. So if you modify anything in the save RAM and you try and load it, the game will will uh, crash. It'll basically say, "Oh, this is corrupt." Mm. And JB Herald Murder Club, they luckily did not 
implement a checksum for the save RAM. So you could go through and kind of try, you know, through trial and error, figure out what you need to have set to, to trigger the ending. And then once you, you figured out what the end, like, save RAM needs to look like to trigger the ending, you can work back and walk through the events that, that get you there. Oh, neat. Okay. Okay. That's cool. At some point, send me a link to that article and I'll post it and I'll add it to the show notes. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it in the chat box on this thing we're on right now. Okay. Actually, even better, put it in the document, the Sheets, the Google right Docs now. document. I have to remember where I put it. Um, I, it's on my site and I remember where I put it, so it's fine. Um, well, you can email me later. That's okay. I'm right Okay. Hmm, where did I put that? Ah, okay. It's sort of weird why I can't remember where I posted things. Right, <laughs> I'm going to put it right here by the J.B. Okay. Carroll tracks. All right, what, what is your track? Well, so it turns out, and this was just pure coincidence. I didn't realize this at first, but it turns out that I think this game is is part of the JB Herald series. <laughs> and I am super duper excited to get to share with you, the listener, a piece of music from the Laser Active. We're gonna hear Dream of the Murder from the game Manhattan Requiem. So let's check it out.
Okay. And that's Dream of the Murder from Manhattan Requiem. You know, it's funny. I made such a big deal about this being laser active, but this is actually not not the first time we featured laser active music on Nerd Noise Radio and not even the first time we featured Manhattan Requiem music on, on Nerd Noise Radio. It, the very the opening episode of 2022 was the 3D Museum soundtrack. And then another track from this game uh, was in... The February 2023 Channel 1. This is the first time we're featuring Laser Active Music on Channel 2, though. So, it's just such a system that you get to hear so little from. Because, And you can probably speak more of this than I can, but my understanding is the way a lot of those discs were programmed, there was really no way to separate out the music from the sound effects. And so, it was rare to get to have isolated music. Um, I don't know if Laser Active and Sega CD was pretty common in... And TurboGrafx CD, it's pretty common to, to have... Oh, yeah, of course. But yeah, Laser Active, I'm not really familiar with. Yeah, well, because Laser Active... Laser Discs work differently than CDs anyway, I believe. So, what surprised me is that Laser Actives actually predate CDs by a couple of years. I That was that really surprised me when I found that out about 20 years ago. So, um, let's see. Well, okay, so now... I, we'll stop talking about the Laser Active, but... Uh, I love this track. It's this great jazz piece. You know, you've got the saxophone over top. From a production perspective, this one was kind of hard to mess with or hard to do because with the saxophone, the way this track was done, I could either have the sax be too loud or I could have everything else be too quiet. And I did do compression, you know, to try to make that better. And even that was only very minimally successful. So um, I apologize. This the rest. This track is going to be too quiet and too loud because I wanted to hit something in between those two problems. So, um, but yeah, no, I love, I love the jazz. I, I've said before, jazz is one of my favorite genres of music in general. And, and I just love what they're doing here. I won't keep talking about that. It is very fitting for a noir detective game though. Don't you? It is, yeah. Yeah. You could play this in, um, LA noir or something and it would fit too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. So... This track, I suppose, you could call a false ending. Because if you're following the track, the tracking of the episode, we each have four composers, we each have a track each from each composer, this should be the last track of the day, right? Mm -hmm. Well, anyone who's been following along in the show notes already knows the spoiler here, or already knows the punchline here, but we are actually not done. Uh, we thought, if we're featuring an episode on unsung and undersung composers, what is more unsung than the unknown composer. So we actually have two more tracks for you. Uh, and these are both tracks from people that we can't identify as, you know, as composers. We looked, we, we were not able to find anything. So my final track of the day is not even from a game. It is system music. It is the login screen slash the initialization screen from the PlayStation 5. Let's go ahead and check it out.
Okay, and this is the login slash initialization screen from the PlayStation 5, composed by Unknown. And and, and I, um, you know, I meant to include this in the top of the show business, not of this episode, but of our previous episode. I was looking this up. This is the other track that was a candidate for Arts of Space. And when I was in that process of trying to get the inf- the composer info for, for Steven and uh, his producer, Steve Davis, I killed myself trying to find a composer on this. And if you go Googling, you will find things that tell you it's Tim Wright, a.k.a. Cold Storage, the person who did the Wipeout games, the person who did uh, Colony Wars. And so I sent him an email asking him about it. And it it took I didn't hear anything for the longest time, so I thought, oh, maybe he's just not going to reply to me. But it turns out he wasn't blowing me off. He was busy querying every composer he knew. Mm. He didn't know you know, hey, was out. this you? Yeah, he didn't know. He said, I, I have no recollection of this track at all, so I really don't think it could be me. But I asked a bunch of my composer friends, and no one had any idea. So so a huge, huge shout-out, overdue shout-out to, to Tim Wright for being so awesome and going so above and beyond to try to find this out for me, even if we came up empty. But, yeah, so so time to ask the same question I've asked the past pre- past episodes. Has PS5 Day arrived for Hugh yet? No, I, I don't have a PlayStation 5. I'm not even really looking for one right now. Okay. Well, I, I kind of feel bad then because this kind of spoils that that first experience. Because you fire up the game and this is there's going to be a little jingle and then this is what you're going to first hear. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm still waiting for like some ex, you know PS5 exclusive that I, I feel like I can't live without. And I don't know. I, to, to a certain point, I'm almost dreading buying one at this point because it's like, I'm going to hook it up and it's going to be like eight days of downloads before I can actually use it. And <laughs> I'm going to put a game in and i got to sit and update that. And I, I just, I'm, I'm beginning to think like it's it's too much work. Uh, it's Something it, really good has to, something I, I really absolutely need has to come out. Okay. All right. It's, you're not wrong, but you're not, it's not as bad as you think. And... While you're waiting for your PS5 to download everything, go play Atari 2600. Yeah. Did you? I sent I I sent something to Zach okay. for an episode of your show, but did you hear about the the Mist demake for Atari 2600? Yeah, I, I heard about that. I haven't actually looked at the video yet. I'm I'm trying to see how much of that is like real running on real hardware versus how much is a. I have to look. I actually have to look at that. I I haven't haven't yet. By the time this episode comes out, we probably will have looked at it, but I I haven't looked at it yet. Okay. Okay. Okay, yeah, well, so, yeah, but while your PS5 is getting set up, you go play Atari 2600. <clears throat> I do love this track, though. This isn't, this, we talked about tracks that I could keep on loop for hours. This one is one that I have done that for. I have listened to this for a couple hours on loop. And it's actually really reminiscent of um, a piece from the 70s, a, a 1977 piece by Alan Parsons Project called Nucleus off the iRobot album. It's if you if you go to YouTube and listen to the first, you know, 15, 20 seconds of iRobot, you're going to think or the uh, piece from iRobot, you're going to think, I have no idea what John's talking about. But if you get into the meat of the track, you know, get into a minute and a half in, it really sounds incredibly similar to what we're hearing here. Mm-hmm. So. A, 19, a, a 2020 video game system that sounds like a 1977 prog rock album. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, so uh, that's all I'm going to say about this. Let's do our typical end of show stuff. Uh, you first. Oh, uh, I don't really have anything. I mean, I still, uh, you know, got the uh, other podcast, Retro Game Club. You can find that on the internet. Um, 
if you search for like uh, JB Herald save RAM analysis, you'll probably find my personal site. That's the best way to, to get there, I think. Um, actually, I don't know. I don't Google my own stuff, so it's possible it shows up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, those. that's about it. Okay. All right. Anything exciting coming down the pike for uh, uh, Retro Game Club? Um, no. I mean, we've... Yes and no. I mean, we, we've done... Um, hmm, I'm trying to think what will be out by the time we talk. I mean, there'll be like one interview coming out that's, that's pretty fun. Uh, we were doing a lot of stuff about 1983 arcade games over the summer. And uh, we'll probably move on to 1993 arcade fairly soon around fall, you know, around the fall time. Uh, those, those are kind of the big things we've got going on. I'll have another episode. Uh, what, what is this coming out again? Well, I'm hoping to get it out this coming Thursday. But the, fall, the week after, if not. Mm-hmm. Okay, so by the time this comes out, I will have posted something on my site about... Um, the X-Files DVD games for Windows, which for some reason are not listed on Moby Games or, um, what's the other one? GameFAQs. Okay. Um, they're not very good, but it, <laughs> it's a series of eight DVD games that came out in, in the early zeros. I was going to finish proofreading it after we're done. So, that's why we gotta... Okay. I, I gotta get back to doing that so I can post this article that no one will read. <laughs> Send me a link yeah. and all. If it's done before I, if it's done before this is uploaded, it I'll put be that done in the show Thursday, notes too. I would get, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to finish it today, maybe tomorrow. Well, I'm hoping. Okay, then it's possible because I'm hoping to have this episode done tomorrow or, or Wednesday uh, because I took the week off work and I'm, I want as much of that time as possible to be chill time. Mm-hmm. Not I don't want to bear. I don't want to lose it all in podcast work, but so I'll get this done as fast as I possibly can and then spend the rest of the week lounging. Yeah. Uh, so Nerd Noise Radio, uh, we just had, we just kicked off. Actually, we had. This was a bigger deal to me than I let on, <laughs> that we got to be the very first show in in MoVGM two. That we got to open it up. That was super cool. We opened it up with a channel one, and uh, it was a sequel episode that came out around the same time as the Hearts of Space episode did, and that was a sequel. And what's so funny is they they both, in both cases, the original episode was a lot more enthusiastic but also a lot less polished and the sequel was so much more polished and it was so interesting to me how the sequel heart to space and the sequel nerd and Ways radio had that in common uh, especially when as i had said earlier there were so many layers between me and the heart to space episode that they managed to get that same feeling just by pure coincidence so it was a focus on un- of course unsung and undersung composers it was called the big sound of the little guy volume two and then we just had the strike episode come out on channel F. This will be coming out. We have another channel one planned and another channel F planned. So, and it's all going to be billed as Masters of EGM stuff, even though we're into July and Masters of EGM is on paper only June. So I'm excited to check, have you guys check that out. Uh, otherwise, with Nerd Noise Radio, I don't think I have any big headlines. You know, Hugh, it's, it's Hugh's turn to pick the next theme, and I don't know if either one of us know what that theme is. I do not know what it is. Okay, well, let me know when you do, and we'll yeah. we'll make an episode. Out I, of I it. first, so, I'll probably do it backwards and pick a song I want to talk about, and then, um, you know, work backwards from there. If that makes sense. Oh, I do, I do that, I do that a lot. So, yeah. Um, okay, so I don't, I don't think if I, I don't think I have anything. If I, if I think of something after we're done recording, maybe I'll add it to the show notes or something. Okay. But 
Yeah, so that's, that's, oh, 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 I can't, yes, I have to say, uh, Masters of EGM, uh, www.mastersofegm.com, it's on Twitter, uh, please check that out, please check out these other shows, these, these guys are putting as much heart and energy into their shows as we're putting into ours, maybe more, you, you might, you might, by pure coincidence, meet a new best friend for the commute. You know, their their audience is showing us love. I want our audience to show them love. That's the whole point of Masters of EGM. This is a big party. It's a big group collaboration thing. And there are some really fantastic shows that are contributing. So please, please, I, I don't want to name any of them because I, I feel like I need to name all of them. And so just go check them out. MastersofEGM.com and Twitter. And I think that's it. So all that's left is your last track. Tell us what it is. Let's talk about it briefly, and let's get out of here so you can get back to your article. Yes. Well, then I got I got like <laughs> other stuff I forgot. That was one of the most enthusiastic things I've ever sure, heard. Yes. Like oh, <laughs> those. I I if you saw my to do list for today, you would be depressed. Um, <laughs> okay. So, right. uh, on our Christmas episode, was that our first episode? I don't recall. No, it wasn't. It was our second. Second. It was, it was our an second early episode. episode. Um, I featured the the first track I picked there was for um, was from Hyper Catalog Four, which is a P- PC Engine game where you um, it's a sampler, it's a, it's a sampler disc, mm-hmm. and it had mm-hmm. some festive Christmas music. Uh, they made a total of uh, six of those games or those samplers, and they all have like background menu music, and there's no composer credited to that. So this is the festive or happy, I'm more happy than festive, let's say. Uh, menu music from the Hyper Catalog series. Okay. Great. I, I think it's a fun track. I think it's a, a great one. I mean, it's a great one to close out this episode of a thousand different moods. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it doesn't end spacey and ambient. It ends fun and lighthearted. These are the end credits. And it's a, it's a good time. Uh, I think, I think Hugh, you sent me the link to this article on your website. So I'm going to try to include that in the show notes as well. Oh, the ultra. Yeah. One of our composers worked on the ultra box games. One of the composers we picked, I think it was, uh, mm-hmm. Hashimoto worked on the, did was credited as a uh, composer on the ultra box series. We probably should have talked about it during their tracks. And, um, unfortunately there's multiple. Yeah. It would be, um, Hakoshi Hashimoto was credited yeah. as working on the Ultrabox games. And Ultrabox has multiple composers, so I didn't pick one from there. And also the music from Ultrabox isn't very good. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. There's, so there's really we'll, nothing on the Ultrabox games that I was like, oh, I, I want to feature that. It, it okay. was more like, oh, I hope I never have to play these again. Uh, <laughs> Hyper Catalog, well, though, those are fun. Hyper Catalog is, is a good way to get, like, demos of some very, some games that otherwise are very expensive as standalone. So like, I don't know, um, Crest of Wolf, you can play like a complete stage on there, which is about all I need to play of that game. And it's, it's kind of a pricey one to get. I think it's called Riot Zone in the US. Wait, is it Riot Mm, Zone? mm. I I own this game and I'm blanking out the name. It's a, it's like a, a it's a final fight. Yeah, it's a fun game for a stage or two. Um, and through Hyper Catalog, you can play a stage on it and then not play it anymore. And they all come with like a full version of Military Madness. Like every, almost every single one of the Hyper Catalog (laughs) games. Um, not all, but almost all of them contain a full version of um, Military Madness. I don't know why. I wonder if it was just a running joke. I, I don't know. They must have signed some kind of deal that let them do it. Because you, you had a full version of that game on, I think, five, at least four, maybe five of the six discs. 
Okay. Well, I, I did find that link to that article you sent me, so I'll include it in the show notes. Um, I will say that I think that the weirdness of those is wonderful. I, you know, it's, it's, I love that, that quirk of throwing things that make no sense together together and just have that be an end in of itself. I love that. So anyway, we'll include that. Uh, I have nothing else to say about this track. If you have nothing else to I say, then let's take else. it out. Sure on. All right. So thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it's Ed from the VG Embassy. It's almost June, and I'm sure you know what that means. It's almost time for the Masters of VGM event. This is an event where for the entire month, all of your favorite VGM podcasts will focus on one theme around video game music composers. This year, we're sharing composers that we feel might deserve a little bit more of the spotlight than they're currently getting. There's going to be a ton of shows participating. Um, let me see. I have that list here. Uh, hey, hey, Larry, you got that list? No, no, not the grocery list. The list of all the podcasts. Yeah. What do you mean you gave it to me already? No, I don't. I don't have it. I'll look. All right. Oh, here it is. My bad. My bad. All right, so it's going to be my show, as well as Nerd Noise Radio, Shujin Academy VGM Club, A VGM Journey, VG Emporium, ReVGM, Gameable Audio, VG Mania, Rhythm and Pixels, CRT Sound System, Volt Supreme Synth VGM Dreamstream Machine, and more. More. 
What do you mean more, Larry? Who are the, who's the more? No, I don't, I don't know. Did you put more on here? All right, well, I guess there's going to be more. If you want to find out who the more is, check out mastersofvgm.com on your favorite web browser or hit up the tweets at mastersofvgm. We hope you enjoy the event. Thank you for joining us, dear listeners. This is Nerd Noise Radio Channel 2, Nerd Noise Game Club. Today's broadcast is C2E13 for Theme Thursday, July 6th. 2023 july 13th 2023 i'll just cut out whichever one it ends up not being um okay so now splice it back in okay it's gonna be it's gonna be only it's gonna be just two times in our entire life where they both kids have milestone birthdays in the same year as we have a milestone anniversary so um you know when august turns 21 why it will turn 10 and we'll celebrate 30 years together so <clears throat> but uh that should be the only one that the only other one that's like like this huge killer financial burden we got wyatt a switch just a, well it was a, a, a factory refurb switch light so it was like 190 bucks but but yeah he's little dude's got a switch now and he's playing um luigi's mansion 3 and anytime there's a big text segment he disrupts whatever i'm doing and wants me to read it to him because he's oh not not quite there yet not quite there yet yeah about once a year i wipe the sd card and put new soundtracks on that i'm in the mood for okay uh i just discovered a new soundtrack it's to a game called edge uh it's a uh, it was on my steam wish list and in the steam summer sale it was like 90 percent off so it was like 70 cents okay so i i bought it and um you know what i will there's there's a number of good tracks in that in that soundtrack, but there's one track that I love so much that I I just hit the pause button and like left it there for like literally an hour, just listening to this music on loop. I'm putting it in the chat for you. Okay, is that um, is that like a uh, gay like a block kind of game? Like you're a block and you're trying to move it into other shapes or something? Well, it's imagine Marble Madness for cubes. Okay. So I think that is the game that led to like a series of crazy lawsuits because of um basically a a copyright troll. A patent troll. Yes. Patent troll, yes. Yeah. I, yeah, that's it. Yep. I didn't know about that until last night. I mean, I shared the track on Discord and someone told me the whole story. Okay, good. So you already heard it. Yeah. 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 That kind of yeah. kicked off this I mean the copyright troll ended up then deciding to mess with electronic arts and now is out of business well so i heard that he's back and he's back at, at the same old shtick that he was doing before so i have no idea okay interesting yeah yeah so i actually feel there's a little there's a small amount of guilty conscience involved in liking this this game but <laughs> i'll take it so yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot more I could tell you, but I'm I I I don't want to yeah. get halfway into the episode and have you like halfway fried out. So yeah, yeah, so let's if, go. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's if a it, good point. If it makes sense to bring up sometime in the episode, I will. Uh, otherwise, maybe I can shoot you an email afterwards or something. Yeah, but. yeah, it's nothing urgent, man. 
this is me, so I'll do the little you are tuned to, <clears throat> and I got to work in the Masters of EGM thing too. So, okay, all right, three, two, one. You are tuned to Nerd Noise Radio, channel two. Today's broadcast is a portion. Portion. That's great. Portion. I didn't start recording the meet yet, so I like I like I forgot something. Forgot something. Oh, I didn't cl click record yet. Okay. All right. Cool. Let me know when you're ready, and I'll try again. Oh, I'll create a transcript too. That's always funny. Oh yes, I love those. You should see a I warning that it's recording. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, now yes, we're yes. Ready. I'm so sorry about that. No, it's that's fine. We didn't miss anything important, and I see the transcription thing too. So okay, okay. cool. All right. So let's try it again. You are tuned to Nerd Noise Radio, Channel 2. Today's broadcast is a Masters of VGM Season 2 episode. No, God, I don't like that. Today's episode is an episode of the Masters of VGM Season 2. Okay, that works. That's good enough. All right. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and uh, three. let's click the track in 3, 2, 1, and then once it makes sense to, I'll, uh, I'll just do our little in opening spiel. Okay, 3, 2, 1. I'll wait till it's kind of audible. Yeah, it's a very long build here. It is. It is, which means it'd have a really long fade if we played it in reverse. Um, <clears throat> okay, all right. Okay, I'll just I'll bring this in. Okay, all right. So three, two, one, and just whenever. Yeah, probably when picks up or something in a second here when it does the big thing yeah oh, yeah. actually i think it might be too far in wait nope there it is all right so that is enforcer britannica from catacomb snatch all right okay three two one And if memory serves, this is the uh, PC-88 version? Yes, this is the PC-88 version. Okay, all right. Sorry, I railroaded If you want, no, we can start over. Okay. All right, so yeah, uh, te Templo del Sol. Uh, but I picked uh, Poyo Poyo CD. I'm sure I mispronounced that. And uh, this track is called Memories of Poyo Poyo. Okay, all right. Three, two, one. You did, but that's actually kind of the charm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a disaster whenever I, I, I go to Japan. <laughs> I'll wait one second here. Do, 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 do. So here we are. Memories of Poyo Poyo, or however it's pronounced. This title is called Violet's Theme. So it's sort of named like a Street Fighter naming convention. Uh, so it's fired up. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. Sorry if that ran out a little long, but that felt really good to get that yeah, off my it's chest. Fine. I, this I, is a good track to run long on. That's fine. A, yeah, okay. It's better than the Pat Riley one, playing for like yes. five minutes. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so super duper quick. This will be really quick. Um, it's funny. One of the, in the Stray episode, one of the, we find ourselves at a point where 
I have a lot to talk about, but I realized it's over like a really short, really glitchy, really weird track. And so I actually do the little record pull sound and interrupt the episode to say, okay, we're going to go back to a, a nicer track for this talking point. Okay. So it's just funny that happened. Anyway. Okay. Bring, do you want to click it back uh, in? Bring it in here. It's fine. It's a good spot, okay. actually. Okay. Uh, yeah. Violet's the 